This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's up, guys? Welcome to Stu's Podcast. My name is Solomon Ali, at Solomon Ali NBA on Twitter. You're joined by Forrest Walker, at Do Nots on Twitter. How you doing, man? Hey, I'm pretty good. Did you watch the lottery yesterday? Uh, I didn't watch the lottery because I don't feel like I need to watch the lottery to know what happened during oh, it. It, it. It's high entertainment, <laughs> man. It is I've, high entertainment. I watched a few of them, but it's mostly just a bunch of people standing in a room. So, But it's a bunch of nervous people standing in a room, which makes it fun. Like it, it, It's a bunch <laughs> of people like with their jobs on the line, and they're all watching ping pong ball. That just happened like half an hour earlier. It's great. I love it. It's so weird. That's so weird to me that everything has already been decided, but we're just watching people find out. Look, I guess it's spectacle, but... And they tape it, too. They tape it inside the room. I'm around nervous people all the time. I don't need to see more nervous people. They're gonna... They'll be okay. They'll they'll all be okay, except for the Knicks, who will never be okay. It's not even a ping-pong ball thing anymore, right? It's like a combination type of thing, right? Yeah, they do like a computer thing now, and it's... Yeah, it's it's weird because it isn't even just like ping like like it's not like there's a bunch of ping pong balls and which balls which one pops up is which, it's like there's a there's a, some number of different scenarios, and it's like fourteen thousand or something like that, and then each one has like a certain uh, outcome of all the picks affiliated with it. I believe is how it works. So, yeah, they just like they just draw a number and that number tells them like the whole scenario. We've come a far away from envelopes, is what you're saying. It's true. It's true. The envelopes are just too susceptible to to, to chicanery and and uh, hijinks. <laughs> yeah. So I wanted to wait like a week before recording this podcast because I feel like after a playoff loss, people's heads just aren't in the right place. And I think a week is enough distance. People have marinated in, in this loss long <laughs> enough. Uh, they have proper perspective. So the things we say on this podcast will be better received, hopefully. Yeah, it's it's like how you wait a week to say uh, Avengers spoilers on the timeline. Right, right. Um, I also think this particular loss was really deflating for Rockets fans. I'm not sure if it was more devastating than last year because of the the way everything went down. You know, the Chris Paul injury, the 27 missed threes, uh, the talk of the officiating. Uh, but it sure felt like fans were more defeated after this one. I think so. My take on this is that I feel like this loss is maybe easier to get over, but also hurt more, if that makes any sense. Uh, and my my feeling is that this loss kind of makes last year's loss real in a way that it wasn't before. Like last year, like, oh, they lost, but hey, it'll be better next time around. And then this year made that everyone have to go, well, it didn't get better this time around. And maybe that really, you know, maybe something is missing now. 
Like the, all the worries we had over the course of this whole last year since they lost last season, all the trials and tribulations over this season, and it seemed like they had finally pulled away from all that, and they they really had had addressed it, and they looked better. And then no, actually, never mind. All the all the worries you had earlier have been made real because they lost yet again. Yeah, and um, as we said earlier, they had the crutch leaving last year of oh, we didn't have Chris Paul for game six and seven, and we were leading at halftime in both games, and maybe if we had Chris Paul, things would have went differently. And this time, you had Chris Paul. There was this talk about maybe it's better to play the Warriors earlier than later because you don't want anyone to get injured, and the Rockets were completely healthy, and Kevin Durant was not healthy, and you lost game six on your home floor. Like Those combination of things can make this one sting a little bit differently. Yeah, and then you even uh, kind of weirdly to, to dig the knife in even more. You have like Ethan Sherwood Strauss going out there writing about how he thinks that the Rockets probably win if Durant doesn't get hurt, which doesn't that doesn't make it feel any better, honestly. That like some smart heads are like, yeah, actually losing Durant might have helped them against the Rockets. Yeah, so I've heard that theory. It's basically that the Warriors play a a more a more equipped style of basketball without Durant, like a more equipped to, to beat the Rockets style of basketball yeah. without yeah, Durant. The, yeah, just that the Rockets have gone all in on beating Durant and less so on, you know, dealing with how they play without Kevin Durant. And not even necessarily a, ju- a value judgment of whether they're better or worse without him, just that it blows up Houston's plans. Well, we, t- we kind of talked about this on our last podcast. Like, I agree with the idea that the Warriors definitely play different without Durant. Like, they play faster. They just play with a level, an elevated level of enthusiasm on both ends of the floor. But I'm not, like, I'm not particularly sold on the idea that they're a better basketball team. Steph definitely seems to play better. And we, we have a mountain of ed- evidence to suggest that. And uh, Clay Thompson seems to play better. And, like... Draymond seems to take more responsibility. I, I don't think the, the team is better. And I, the, the Rockets, yes, they're equipped to take on this isolation style of basketball. But the reason the Warriors play this isolation style of basketball is because the Rockets take them completely out of their sets with the way they switch everything. It's a monkey wrench. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's an unexpected left turn that honestly didn't look like it helped any though of course everyone's gonna say you know oh whatever you that's just you're trying to make a make excuses after the fact but i don't know i feel like this i think weirdly this coming season i'm going to end up being not the downer guy because this one doesn't really they just weren't as good of a team as they were the previous year and there's so many reasons why and even so this wasn't that bad of a series really Every game was a couple of possessions. They didn't get blown out ever. Uh, it was a it was a really tight six game series. It doesn't feel really that shameful. I know everyone wants it to be shameful, but like Clint Capella was giving them nothing. Uh, Daniel House, who was a huge part of their late season run that they pulled off, wasn't able to play. So there's a there are, there are reasons to feel like they did pretty well, all things considered. And yeah, they they came up short yet again, but I don't know. It it in the long run, I feel like this isn't quite as grim as last season was. I think they lost the series by a combined eleven points, it, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Like that that that's that's just ridiculous. Like the, like the the Rockets definitely pushed the Warriors more than any other team has in the Kevin Durant era. Like the, that's at this point irrefutable. Like they just they just do. They take the Warriors out of what they're comfortable in doing 
and they play they force them to play a different style of basketball than their then then they like to like they like to move the ball they like to play at a at a fast pace they they like to switch everything defensively and the rockets are equipped to you know kind of disrupt that style yeah uh, i don't like a lot of people are saying oh no the rockets have to pack it in you know you've lost four to last yada yada but yeah this was this wasn't bad i want to talk about game 6 first so throughout game 6 i just felt like they were tight offensively like i just felt like yeah. like Throughout the game, I, I never felt like there was a point in the game where they really got it rolling. Like, like the, they would stay in it. Yeah, my read is that it kind of it, it felt like Game Five was a gut punch, and they did a pretty good job of coming back from that gut punch, and they very nearly won. But it they did look tight. They did look like they weren't just like going all out, right? Because they they were they were having to to. They have to play in such like a controlled fashion against the Warriors, and it really does seem like it takes out of them, especially when they get those gut punch losses. So, yeah, this is actually a thing that I'm gonna get in, keep getting into, which is that it seemed like they were in their own heads a little bit, and they've kind of necessarily been in their own heads for a while now because of how devoted they are to chasing the Warriors and rings. Yeah, I thought the Rockets played like a B plus game, and the Warriors played like an A game. Other than yeah. than Steph Curry in the first half. I thought the Warriors were excellent. Like, and I hate to keep talking about Draymond because I know Rockets fans hate Draymond Green. Like, the, the guy was just a monster this series, and especially in Game Six. Like, he just disrupted everything, a- absolutely everything. And, and the Steph Draymond pick and roll was just so devastating, and the Rockets had no answer for it. And they knew it was coming because the Warriors were injured up and down the roster. And there was no other choice but to run the Steph and pick and roll, the Steph and and Draymond pick and roll to death, and the and the Rockets just could not slow it down. And even in the instances that they could slow it down, in the, in the instances that they, they got the shot that they wanted defensively, Andre Iguodala hit like a back. Andre Iguodala, like like, and that's possibly the most frustrating thing if you're a Rockets fan. Like you can do everything correctly, and Andre Iguodala, the guy who's like a thirty four. 33% three-point shooter will go five for eight in a game six. Like that, yeah. that, that that's extremely hit, frustrating. Hit five roster. threes in a game, which he has never done on that roster. Those Andre Iguodala and Draymond Green threes feel like more of a, they, they feel like more of a gut punch than Steph Curry three-pointers. Because at least with Steph Curry three-pointers, you know that they're coming. With, you know, with Andre Iguodala three-pointers, you're giving it to him. And when he's hitting them, it's just so deflating. Because the the Rockets, I don't think they played a great game defensively. I mean, they they could not defend Clay Thompson. They just left him open entirely too many times. But I thought they played like an okay game defensively. And an okay game defensively depends on Andre Iguodala missing three-pointers. And unfortunately for the Rockets, he just would not miss three-pointers. Yeah, uh, eventually one of Draymond Green or Andre Iguodala won't be on the Warriors anymore, but who who knows when that'll be. And the same problems that, that consistently plagued them throughout the regular season and in Game 1s and Game 2 caused their ga- their downfall in Game 6. Like, offensive rebounding was a problem. Kevon Looney was all over the glass. Defensively, I just didn't feel like they were sharp. I thought they were okay, but like, Particularly on Clay Thompson, he had a big game, and he carried Golden State for that first half when Steph Curry was down. Like when he when he had zero points, like Clay Thompson had a monster half for the Warriors and kept them in the game. 
Yeah, they had to play out, like out of their minds, honestly. That was a really good game from the Warriors. And it was just barely enough to beat Houston. So, yeah, it's definitely a horrible gut punch, but it it was it was painful how it went down, but that it went down, I don't know. I mean, th- you made you made the Warriors. You made the 73-win Warriors uh, minus Leandro Barbosa, I guess. Uh, and Harrison Barnes. And Harrison Barnes, yeah. My, the 73-win Warriors minus those guys had to really give a good effort to win that game. And you can say, oh, well, Steph didn't have a very good first half. Well, he had a really good second half, so I think it kind of comes out in the wash. That's an, that's an excellent team. They're one of the two best teams ever. Uh, so that I don't know. It's it's hard to feel horrible about losing to them, even though it does sting to just keep losing them over and over and over again. It really did feel like the better team won this series, and th- that's probably a miscalculation on my part. Like I th- I just didn't think the Warriors had this kind of basketball in them anymore. Like it really felt like in that Clippers series, we were starting to see the end, and they came in here. Draymond looked amazing. Uh, and they took. They just. They won this series. They they won this series more than the Rockets lost this series. It's okay to say that. Yeah, I feel like I feel like maybe last year's series did actually mean something to them because it did seem like they came out this year and were like, oh, we can't mess around with these guys. Like in everything they keep saying too, they're like, no, you have to go all out with the Rockets. They no longer, you know, just view the Rockets as an annoyance. They actually want to work to beat them. And the Warriors have looked so disinterested, and Houston is the only team, it seems, that can actually get them to get out there and really play hard. That or uh, when they don't have to deal with Kevin Durant, they feel a lot more free and easy, but that's uh, we'll see how that goes. Yeah, uh, they definitely have a level of reverence for the Rockets that I don't even think the, the general public has. Like, uh, Steve, no, not even close. Yeah, like Steve Kerr, Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, even Draymond to an extent. Like, all had positive things to say about the Rockets after they defeated them in Game 6. Like, they were just singing the Rockets' praises, and they were talking about how this is the toughest team we've played in this four- or five-year stretch that we've been the Warriors. Like, this is this is easily the, the toughest team. And, like, you're right. Like, they did not mess around. Like, they started the death lineup in Game 1. Uh, they... they stuck to their principles and they won they just flat out won this series because they were better and they did not mess around like the like every possession of this series felt like the most important possession of the series yeah uh both teams gave it everything which is something that i think a lot of people are are leaving behind and yeah you're right they do give a lot more deference to this team than like i think they've moved into that small echelon of teams that the rock that the warriors actually respect at this point they might not like them but they respect them and they they get that it's going to be a real fight from them which like you said it's funny that the warriors themselves have more respect for the rockets than like their fans and fans in general seem to which is such a weird impulse to me for for fans to say, oh, my team is the best, and everyone who loses to them is garbage and worthless. Okay, yeah. so if if everyone sucks except for your team, how does how are they very impressive? No, except that other teams are good too, and that this victory is impressive. Right, right. Um, let's talk about James Harden uh, because uh, in Game Six he had thirty five points, eight rebounds, five assists, four steals on fifty seven point eight percent true shooting. Uh, th- those are good numbers, right? You would agree. Yeah. Yeah. Not like not like world beating numbers, but quite good. Right. Um, had a rough fourth quarter. Had a couple of key turnovers, and he missed a layup. 
the free throw shooting wasn't great, but I, I thought this was largely like a like an A minus to B plus kind of game for Harden. It was it was pretty good. It wasn't great, but the amount of crap he caught after this game, after a series where he averaged thirty four points, seven rebounds, nearly six assists, two steals, three point eight turnovers on thirty five percent usage, and sixty percent true shooting. Like we're not doing this again. I'm sorry. We're <laughs> like we're not. We're not. We're not gonna pretend like Harden had a bad series or that the reason the Rockets lost was because of James Harden. We're not doing this. I feel like at a certain point you're just fishing for something to attack him about because I I don't I, I watched his entire series and I I I honestly feel like Harden played some of the best ba- playoff basketball he's ever played and I don't know. Of anyone who objectively watched this series, I don't know how you can take away anything but that. Yeah, any the only complaints I've seen that have had any uh, the smell of merit to them at all have not been about his stats whatsoever. They've been about the idea of like his, of, of leadership and intangibles and stuff like that, right? The idea that he perhaps he could have set a different tone during the series. Perhaps he, you know. Like at the end of games, he seemed like he became a little, little passive, and maybe he needed to be more aggressive. It's all that kind of stuff, and I think there's a discussion to be had there. Uh, but it's that's not like that. That's really that's really nitpicking at the fringes of greatness, right? Like that's like okay, well he he's amazing, but he could have done more to really elevate his team, and you know, like maybe he could have been on the level of poise of like a like a like a Steph Curry or something instead of uh, like himself, but. Yeah, I th- I feel like you're splitting hairs at that point. He was very good in the series. Theoretically, he could have been better, but just theoretically. Yeah, and like I bring up these stats to people, and they're just like, "Well, the the numbers don't tell the whole story." Well, hold on, aren't you some of the same people that brought up James Harden's numbers when he had terrible game sevens or game sixes or elimination games? Like, aren't you some of the same people that would bring up, okay, these are his playoff numbers as compared to his regular season numbers. So when I bring you that he had good playoff numbers this year, you you just completely dismiss them. Is that what we're doing right now? Because, like, like you can't, court, you can't do both. You can't have a hand in both camps. You can't. You can't just move the goalposts like that. Harden in, in fourth quarters in the playoffs, fifth, seven, eight points per uh, fourth quarter, and he was really efficient in these fourth quarters. He had good numbers in these fourth quarters. We're essentially talking about the fourth quarter of Game 5 and the fourth quarter of Game 6. And in the fourth quarter of Game 5, he took one shot attempt in the last eight minutes. And that's the famous stat, right, that, that everybody's throwing around. That's the, that's the stat, right? But if you look at, if you watch those plays, you know, these eye test guys, right? Like, oh, like I, I was watching the series, Harden wasn't aggressive. Okay, these eye test guys, watch the possessions. Go back and watch the film. Watch those possessions where Harden was c- just controlling the, the offense and the Rockets had an offensive rating that was through the roof. I hate to get off on a tangent on this, but I just feel like we're, like, the story for years was Harden's not good in the playoffs. And then I show you his playoff numbers, or he has a good playoffs, where it's, okay, now he's not good in elimination games. Okay, then he has a good elimination game. It was like, oh, well, well, his fourth quarter wasn't great. So, like, you're essentially nitpicking him for losing, is what I'm getting, is what we're, we're, we're getting here. We're essentially nitpicking him for losing to the Warriors. Uh, yeah, and that's, a, that's, that's something that he's going to get hit with every time he loses to the Warriors. I don't know. I guess it doesn't... 
it doesn't really bother me, I suppose, because it, it only it's only a concern if it affects him negatively in some way. Uh, it doesn't matter to me what people think of James Harden. As far as I can tell, he's going to be he looks like he's going to be a rocket for the rest of his career, and he doesn't show any signs of like slowing down right now. So I, I'm not worried about it. People can think what they want to think, but he's gonna he's gonna do his his thing whether they believe in him or not. Yeah, it's just something I had to get off my chest because it's just nagging at me for a couple of days, and I I didn't really say much on Twitter. I, like I tweeted out his stats for the series, and that's it. Like I, I have, I, I've kept quiet about this, but this is just, <laughs> this is just really annoying that we're that we're doing this again. Like, he has to have like a perfect, pristine game, top to finish, and, and win the basketball game for him to leave without criticism. I think at this point he just has to win a championship. That's and that's it. There's there's not going to be any change in the narrative around James Harden unless he wins a championship. And unfortunately, I I don't think there's any more nuance beyond that. I guess, I guess. Um, so we're we're one week removed from the season. If you were to give them a grade, what kind of grade would you give them? Um, I would give them a C plus because they started out as like a D minus and they ended up at like an A minus. And so the horrible early effort for the season, but made up for it pretty well. So. Decent mark passing, but you could have done better. I'm actually with you. I'm in that C plus to B minus area, and and a lot of this season is like perspective, right? Like how how are you viewing the Rockets? At what point do you view, do you start viewing them? Because like if you're viewing them when they're 11 and 14, and you see that they make it to the second round of the playoffs and they lose to the Warriors in six, that, that's a pretty good season, right? Like, if, if you're just viewing it through that lens where the the Rockets start 11 and 14, but if you if you view it the, through the normal lens of starting the regular season with high expectations, we think they're going to win, like, 58-plus games, and they end up winning 53, and we both think that they're second-best team in the Western Conference and they don't make it to the conference finals, that, then it's a little disappointing, right? That, then, it, then it gets... It gets tough to grade there, and and that's kind of where I'm at. Like I I think they did a really great job at recovering from where they were. I, th- I thought the the mid season additions they made were pretty good. And I think they have a good chance at keeping some of them. And going into the playoffs, like I feel like, you know, there's a lot of despair going on on Rockets Twitter. Like, uh, you you feel like, especially after the game, you felt like there was a lot of doom and gloom. But I don't know. I I, I don't. I don't feel that same way for them. Uh, yeah, I mean, you can. It's funny because you could say, well, they would have made it to the conference finals if they'd won one more regular season game, and I think that's true. But also, they didn't win that one more regular season game, right? So they only have themselves to blame for all of this. And uh, in the end, if you if you're losing the Warriors yeah. in the second round or the conference finals, well, what's the difference? Yeah, the difference is a million dollars on Clint's salary. Is what the difference is. Sure. Uh, <laughs> right. But, uh, I, I mean, the, the thing is that the, the goals they set out for themselves were to beat the Warriors and win the championship. That's their own stated goals. And I think it really locks you into only being able to judge them in that frame. They've done this to themselves. Like, if they were to take a step back and handle things differently, maybe there would be more room for, like, perspective on the Rockets. But they themselves leave none. And it's a it's a... It's part of the penalty of being as excellent as they've been, and it's part of the penalty of how they've gone about things. So I actually, 
I think what the Rockets and what everyone else needs right now, and I'm going to say this over and over and over again, is that everyone needs a change in perspective. The Rockets need a change in perspective, so does everyone else. It's time to let go of this like beat the Warriors or die mentality. It's time to it's time to like move on past the only thing that matters is a championship. Like I actually think they probably stand a better chance of winning championships if they just learn to like let go and just play, you know, just just play. Just play. Stop worrying about all stuff, stop worrying about expectations, stop setting expectations for yourself. Stop work like fans too, stop working yourself into a lather about what whether they're gonna get there or not and just just appreciate them for the great team they are, and hopefully they just appreciate themselves too and do the best they can. And we have a good season. Yeah, I I don't think that's gonna happen. <laughs> I don't think Daryl. I don't think James. I don't think Mike. I don't think any of those guys are gonna lower the bar. I just don't like. I I think the, the they understand the situation they're in. They're responsible with James Harden's prime. Uh, they realize the great responsibility that that holds, and I I think they real especially ownership down like Tillman after the game just unprompted just had a random press conference <laughs> and uh talked about how we're de- we're gonna win a championship with James Harden that's that's oh, gonna God. happen like like I'm not I'm not saying to lower the bar though I'm saying to change the bar instead of the bar being championship and beat the Warriors I feel like it's much healthier to have the bar be be better than we were yesterday right the bar is just be better and stop like like the fact that they did play tight is a problem, right? Because if they weren't, so, if this wasn't like the culmination of everything, if they weren't, so, like it felt like they were unknown heads a little bit, especially guys like Clint, right? There's so much tension and like neurosis exuding from that team. I feel like it would be better not only for their well-being and for our well-being, but also for their chances of winning if they're able to dispel some of that neurosis and just just ball out, man. Just 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 be better than you were yesterday every day. Um, let's talk about Cliff for a second because I'm glad you brought him up. I I nearly forgot that he was on my rundown. I completely forgot. <laughs> um, How could he not be? Yeah, so he had an awful, awful Warrior series. Like this might have been last year. This might have been his worst series in a Rockets uniform. Like it's not an exaggeration. This might be his worst playoff series in a Rockets yeah, fo- uniform. Yeah, followed closely by the Jazz in round one. By the way. Yeah, not not the best playoffs for Clint. Um. He just like those those baskets that we can just pencil in every game where those little, those little lob system buckets with Harden and Capella they just weren't there they weren't there to be had and for whatever reason whether that be Draymond Green uh, taking completely taking him out of the game or he, him being in his own head and catching the ball and not finishing like he just wasn't effective in this series and it's caught in a lot of it's caught in a lot of backlash. Like well, a he, lot. he ate everyone's lunch last year, right? Like in the first two rounds of the playoffs, Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert both got totally sunned by him. And then this time around, Rudy Gobert owned him. That's a bad look. No, I agree. I I, I think a lot, most of most of it, like 90% of it is, was warranted. What I really want to talk about is that 10% when we get into, oh, the Rockets definitely have to trade Clint Capella. Like the, that that's where I'm like, okay, let's just pump the brakes a little bit because well, I don't think he, people realize how important this dude is to what Houston likes to do. Oh, they need him. They need him against 28 teams in the league. I mean, and he was excellent last year. So I think it's more about figuring out what went wrong than cutting bait. 
Yeah, he's definitely, and we talked about it on the last podcast. Like, he's definitely ten to fifteen percent worse than where he was last year as a basketball player, and that's really bad for a player in his early twenties or mid twenties or whatever, however the however old Clint Capella is now. Um, the, the, that's not good. You got to get better. Uh, and the fact that he got worse, the fact that he was less mobile, the fact that the Rockets had to change their entire defense from switch everything to keep Clint Capella next to the rim is bad. Like, the Rockets could not play defense at the same level because Clint Capella could not switch and recover and grab rebounds. Like, that's not... Like, that's something he was able to do last year, and this year he just wasn't. And in this series... Especially in this series, because the Rockets so badly needed system buckets, they needed just e- like the Warriors got a ton of system buckets. Like you'd get, you'd see backdoor backdoor cuts, you'd see layups, you'd see like stuff that the Warriors manufactured out of simply being the Warriors. The Rockets didn't have a lot of those, and Clint's to blame for a lot of that. And I understand the backlash, but when we get into the Rockets definitely have to trade him or or, or they're screwed. Like, I'm just like, you know, like, he's super important. Like, he is super important. Offensively, James Harden's never had a better pick-and-roll partner. Like, and I I don't don't think people remember the years where he had uh, Dwight Howard demanding post-touches and nobody setting screens for him. I don't think, I think people completely forgot about that. Like, the, the years where all... The Rockets wanted was a center like Clint Capella, and yes, he performed poorly in the playoffs. But man, this guy is super important to what they do, especially in this in this particular system. Yeah, I think that it, there's a bit of a rush to judgment to write off Clint Capella. Like he's had, he, he wasn't even bad during a season. Really, he did have he did have like you said the problem where he was not as good at switching as previously. But I think there also may be some more going on there than just Clint. The whole system had to be reorganized because of some personnel changes throwing the baby out with the bathwater because he had a bad year is not like or not even a bad year bad playoffs is a a premature decision they have him locked up through 2023 they don't have to worry about contract negotiations again this summer thank god uh so hopefully they can just get down to the business of figuring out what's going on with him you know getting getting in shape and training getting for the next year uh, I think it should be a lot easier to deal with that this season because this season, this offseason isn't going to be a bunch of weird chaos, hopefully. They don't have a lot of guys becoming free agents this time around. Right, like, and I, I think it's reasonable to talk about Clint Capella as, like, a, a, a good trade chip, right? Like, I think it's reasonable to talk about him that way. But to talk to talk about him as, you got you got to get rid of him. you got to get rid of him. Like, I'm just like, okay, that, that's just a little bit too reactionary for my taste. I I I think we just like that's why I waited a week to do this because I I think it was necessary for us to realize man like a lot of the reactions coming out of Game Six were just over the top like I tweeted out a quote about Mike D'Antoni and all of my mentions were get rid of this bum like it's time to fire him <laughs> like, like like I'm tired of seeing this guy like uh, most of my mentions were like were all about that and I'm just like okay guys like. You can't just tear everything down because you lost to the Warriors. Like, you lost to the best team in the NBA. You lost to the defending NBA champions. You lost to a team that won three out of the last four titles. Like, tearing everything down that got you there and made you competitive is not smart. It's not. Just because you lost to 
the reigning NBA champion doesn't mean your your formula is flawed. Yeah, what they need is honestly stability and cohesion more than anything else right now. They, I think it would be a mistake to get rid of D'Antoni. Yeah, he, his rotations are sometimes difficult, but who's out there that's better? And more importantly, do you really want to shake all this up? I mean, unless there's stuff going on behind the scenes that we don't know about, I don't see any reason to suspect that this needs to get shaken up that much. Honestly, it seems like it needs to get settled down, if anything. Yeah, and like you're right that his rotations are a little bit stiff, right? But every coach has a flaw like that that annoys the hell out of their fan base. Like, every coach. Like, I, I, can, I can go through the list and I can find you a flaw with every coach in the NBA. But largely, D'Antoni comes out in the green by a lot. Like, by a lot. He has a great relationship with the players in the locker room. James Harden loves playing for him. That's huge. I don't, I don't think we could have said that about Kevin McHale. And he's developed a, a system that's led Houston to a ton of offensive success. They've been a top two offense every single year he's been in Houston. And, and that's that's been the bedrock of their success. No matter what happens on the defensive side of the basketball, we can lock in this team is going to be awesome offensively. Because James Harden's there, because Mike D'Antoni's there. And like that, like, like that, that stuff's super important. And... This idea that you're going to find somebody on the open market that's an upgrade. Like, okay, let's just say Mike D'Antoni gets fired tomorrow. Let's just let's just say that happened, right? So who on the open market's in, like a ready, readily available upgrade? Like, is is Chris Finch going to, like, be a huge upgrade? Like, like I, I just, I don't know what you, who you're going to find. That's just, like, Mike's a Hall of Famer. I, I'm not sure if you guys realize that. Like, he's going to go down in the, in the NBA as a Hall of Famer. Yeah, unless like a Rick Carlisle or somebody comes available, there's no, there's no reason. There's no reason. You're just, you're just sowing chaos for just to to feel like something different is being done. And sometimes there's nothing different to be done. Like you said, they lost to the, one of the two best teams of all time. It's okay. Like you just re, come come back around at it again. Just do the best you can and like stop panicking so much. Keep keep Daryl, keep Mike, you know, keep uh, keep Tad Brown, keep uh, keep Jeff Bizdella, keep everyone around, right? Keep all the key members around because this has gone fine. It's gone fine. Everyone, calm down. Yeah, like, and I'm not necessarily saying that there doesn't have to be change. Like, there's definitely going to be minor at the at the very minimum. There's going to be minor changes to this roster this offseason. That's just the way it is. That's just the way Daryl operates. He's gonna he's gonna bring in some new blood. He's gonna change stuff up, and the Rockets are gonna look different next year in one way or another. And I'm not saying that the Rockets don't have to make wholesale changes to the roster. I'm saying it's not necessary, and call and saying that it is is just a huge overreaction. It's just huge. Like if the Rockets were to do anything, it's because they really really want to beat the Warriors. Yeah, I honestly, the biggest concern the Rockets have right now, above and beyond everything else, is just that Chris Paul's not getting any younger. That's it. That's that's the problem they have right now, and that's not the worst place to be in. Right. Yeah, and that contract isn't pretty, and I get it. I I understand the worry. What I would say is, like, when Daryl Morey signed that contract last July, like he knew what he was doing. He knew the the back end of that contract wasn't going to look pretty. I don't know if he expected this kind of drop off in year one of that contract, uh, but I, he definitely expected a drop off. He's not he's not naive. 
Yeah, the the drop off wasn't as bad as people thought it was going to be, and it also was worse than like Optimus thought it would be. So honestly, not great, but acceptable. Right, like he had a twenty four PR last year. He was like nineteen this year. Like that's definitely noticeable. But um, first of all, like like he had injury issues this year, and I think that's just something the Rockets are gonna have to deal with for the rest of his career. Like he's just he just he just can't play more than seventy five games a year anymore I, th- I think that's just that's just hard it's hard to pencil him in for more than 60 like that's that's just it's, it's tough but at the same time that's still a really good basketball player and again i'm not i'm not necessarily saying that everything about the rockets formula is perfect but it's pretty damn great like the rockets are, are still gonna be like like if we were if we were doing season predictions right now and the rockets were to go on with the same core next year i'm probably gonna have them down for 54 plus wins I'm not sure about you. I'm probably going to have them as a top four team in the West again. Yeah, you're, I'm not going to go out there and say that they're going to start 11 and 14 this this next season. Also, yeah, the, the, I think the ex- expectation would be that even if they just manage to keep the same roster throughout the whole of next season, that's better than what last season was. Yeah, I don't know. I I just think the just the 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 huge overreaction to losing the Warriors is just a little unwarranted. I think a lot of it is that people are finally see like realizing that oh the Warriors are really oh, good. Yeah, the war this the Rockets team just might not win any championships ever. Like, yeah, but you should have already known that. That's that's just the NBA. <laughs> if if you pin your hope if if it's championship or bust, it's gonna be bust like ninety seven percent of the time. Right. And I I think it's it's the idea that Harden turns thirty in August and people are starting to visualize a world in which James Harden retires without a championship, and that's just really tough. I, I get it. That's tough. But the, it's not like the Rockets aren't doing everything they can to, to make that future not happen. Like, Daryl in that front office, is not. they're not sitting around. Like, they're, they're not like, okay, we're, I, I guess we're not beating them. We're just going to go into next year and not try. Like, they're doing everything they possibly can, and they for the, for the most part, they've done a pretty good job at trying to they're they're moving this giant boulder uphill is what they're doing <laughs> like i this is the first year i picked the rockets to win and they played the warriors four times i don't think i'm ever going to pick the rockets again but at the same time like they they ju- they just have a better formula than than 26 other teams yeah at least 26 yeah, it does. It doesn't help that they keep calling their shot regarding pushing that rock up the hill every year. They're like, "We're gonna get this rock over the top of the hill." So it does, after a point, I think, hurt that you keep coming, coming short of what you said you're gonna do. But I don't know. It's an easy fix. So stop, stop saying you're gonna get the boulder over. <laughs> Just, I, it, I, I, I guess. I guess the alternative is lowering the bar, and lowering the bar is. Equally as disappointing if you're a fan. Well, like right? I said, you don't have you don't have to lower the bar. They can just stop calling their shot. They can just, just stop say saying. Anything. Well, just don't say we're gonna like they can say yeah our goal is to win a championship, but stop being like no we're the we're the best threats we're the ones out there, like stop pinning your stop pinning their worth on being able to overcome this impossible hurdle. Well, that's a little tricky because Daryl gets asked that question all the time, right? Like yeah, at, at some point, but he also he also says it all the time though. I mean, it's it is a bit of both if you ask me. Right, it, it, it's it he he does get he does say it unprompted sometimes too. I get it, but I don't know like. That that's the team you have to beat. Like why why beat around the bushes? You know, like that is, 
Like if you're try- if you're gonna win a championship, you're gonna have to go through that team. I don't understand why why you have to verbally hide behind we're gonna win a championship. Like I'll, like obviously, if you say you're gonna win a championship, you're saying we're we're gonna we're gonna beat the Warriors. So you might as well say we're gonna beat the Warriors. I guess, but you're not going to be the Warriors, so stop saying you're going to do it. You can sure. say that your plan is to do it, but it, like, I'm, what I'm kind of getting at is the difference between saying that like you're attempt, like you're going to try to do it, and saying that, like you are going to do it. And I know that there's so so much of like American culture tells people like there is no try, only do right. Like, no, it's saying you're gonna. You, you don't say that you're going to attempt something. Say that you will do it, because then you'll excuse yourself failing if you don't. But you're just going to fail sometimes. Everyone's just going to fail sometimes. And setting yourself up in a situation where when you inevitably do fail, it undermines you. It isn't going to help you any. Like, I, I really think they need stability and they need perspective. And they need to just chill. This They need to just chill and make some improvements and not try to, like, go crazy. That, that Don't overreact. This is one of the only times ever going to say this. Don't overreact. <laughs> so we briefly touched on it. Uh, let's talk about the offseason. Where do the Rockets go from here? Well, I mean, you see what's out there, right? Uh, you always you always make a make a college try at the big names, right? Because why wouldn't you? I mean, it's, while I'm saying everyone's a chill, if someone falls in your lap, they fall in your lap, right? If you if you can get like a Jimmy Butler or something, that's cool, I guess. Why not? Uh, and you know, who knows? Maybe some maybe you can work some kind of weird like free agency miracle or something. But barring those extreme outliers that I really doubt are going to happen. Uh, I think they just have to try to find a way to get some get some guys who are going to suit their needs. Honestly, they need to they need to find a, like a, a someone to replace that Trevor Reza role, and or make sure the house is actually ready to replace that role as he tried and failed to do during the playoffs. Yeah, I think one thing that's different from last offseason is they now have clear needs, right? Like last year, it was like okay, like just don't decline. Don't decline. Do everything that you can that you can do yeah. to make sure you're not worse. Now, now there are legitimate paths to upgrade, right? Like we know that they're not the best defensive team. We know that they're not the best rebounding team. Those are two areas that you can look at and try to upgrade. And I think I think that that's a that's a difference. That's a positive going into the offseason. It's like you don't have to worry about trying to bring back Clint, trying to bring back Chris Paul. Like, like those guys are locked under your core is locked under contract. I think that's largely a good thing because you don't have to worry about like trying to bring them back at the same time, trying not to decline, right? Now, now you can just try to upgrade. Now you can just try to upgrade around the edges of your roster. Try to find your next three and D guy. Try try to bring bring back Iman Shumper since you already have his bird rights, um, and you know see what you can do with that taxpayer MLE. See what that gets you. Maybe hold on to it if it's not the best thing. But one thing I think is going to be a big, big sticking point is the Rockets have to spend money. If Tillman Fertitta is going to come out of uh, Game 6 and, and talk about how we're definitely going to win a championship with James Harden. Yeah, you got to go all in. you got to put your money where your mouth is, man. Like, like This is this is it. Like, okay, you, you're you going to dodge the repeater tax, but now you got to pay the actual luxury tax. Like, the, There's no messing around here. You gotta spend. You have to spend. Yeah, everybody they have bird rights on, which is basically just Shumpert. Uh, yeah, do not be surprised if Shumpert gets like a pretty big size contract because why not? Right? right at this point, yeah. like it doesn't. They're over the cap anyway, so it doesn't matter if they extend their guys. All they have to worry about is can they hang? 
can they hang on to the players worth hanging on to? Which basically it's what are they going to do about House, Rivers, and uh, Kenneth Fareed? And then are, are they going to like grab anybody else to uh, improve around the edges, right? So uh, we'll see how that goes, right? I, I honestly think that they should make a real effort to retain Daniel House, and he actually did them a favor, I think, in, a, in that poorly. sense. Yeah, like by by being hurt for a lot of the playoffs and not impressing anybody. Like I think he's got a lot of potential as, if they can develop him a little bit. Uh, but he looked like he was primed to go get like a like a real contract, but perhaps that's cooled off a little bit. We'll see. Yeah. It would be nice if they can get him back, at like you know, a few million dollars a year. It's one of those situations where I'm not sure which camp has a leverage anymore. Like I, I <laughs> like I'm not sure. Like I I thought it was Daniel House. Now now I'm not sure. Because of the way this postseason ended out, um, but you're right. Like they, they have to try and bring back their the best of their bunch. But at the same time, I don't think it's the worst thing in the in the world if they don't bring everybody back. Like I'm not sure if you have to bring. Like there's all there's been all this talk about how you have to bring Austin Rivers back. Like yeah, you prefer to have him back. I'm not sure if that's a have to. I'm not sure if any of these play. <laughs> I'm not sure if any of these players are like you have to bring them back. Like maybe Iman Shumpert because. There's no reason to not bring him back because it's just it's just money. Like if you're gonna spend, might as well spend to bring him back. And with these other guys, you're gonna have to spend some of that taxpayer MLE. If you feel like you can get something better, you know, like I don't I don't think it's the worst thing in the world to like not bring everybody back. Especially like you know, I'm not sure if Kenneth Fareed's like a have to bring him back kind of guy. Yeah, uh we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Yeah, I think it would be nice to bring them back, but yeah, I agree. I don't think these guys are that necessary. Uh, Farid was pretty good during a regular season. I don't know that he's. I mean, he he played above his contract, but his contract was a minimum con- contract they signed like during buyouts. So uh, they can probably get something better. It's not a huge loss if if he does go elsewhere. Austin Rivers is a pretty big help, but he's not a huge help. There are other guys who can handle the ball and shoot a three. Uh, his defense is pretty good on like Steph in particular. He 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 can do some things, but he's not irreplaceable. He just isn't. Yeah, I don't think any of these guys are irreplaceable. I'm just interested to see what they do. Like I thought last year, like you had to bring back, you had to bring back Clint Capella. You had to bring back Chris Paul because you weren't going to find any anyone else that could replace that kind of production. You just weren't. Um, and this year, it's like. I think I think they might try and extend Eric Gordon. That's going to be something to keep an eye on. Like I think I think Eric Gordon's going to be a, a a hot extension target to see if they actually if they actually pull the trigger on that. But other than that, like I don't. There's not really much that you have to bring back. Yeah, I feel like basically anybody they can extend, they might as well just extend them until the end of the Chris Paul contract. That's your that's your end date, right? Like. Spend as much money as you want for these next three seasons. It doesn't really matter. You're going to be capped out during all of them. Go into the tax. Who cares? You know, by the after the Chris Paul's contract ends, then you just go back into below the luxury tax because all these contracts are going to end around that time. So, yeah, I think it, if they can give all these guys almost any given contract between over the next three seasons why not just make them happy give them what they give them what you can give them lock everything down so you're not worried about it and just play out the string and see how it goes there's really nothing especially if you can get them on like a not even a small contract but like a moderate contract where they could potentially be used in a trade if necessary hey why not why not just just get them on the books and not have to worry about it anymore 
Yeah, it's going to be fun. This offseason is going to be fun, especially since there's not that overwhelming pressure to bring guys back. Like, it's going to be fun to see what Darrow does with the back end of this roster and potentially the front end of this roster. It'll be better than last season, that's for sure. Last offseason was a real kick in the pants. Yeah, less stressful than last offseason for Rockets fans, I'd imagine. It should it should be fun to see if Daryl tries to get aggressive in some trade talks. It's going to be fun. Uh, so subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Follow me on Twitter at SoMollyNBA. Follow Forrest on Twitter at Do Not. How do you spell that, Forrest? It's D-U-N-O-T-S. And yeah, guys, good night.